Welcome to today's edition of the Bible Class. Our teacher, Dr. Kenneth C. Hill, is teaching from the New Testament book of James. You may send your questions by email through our website at whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. Or you may mail your questions to the Bible Class, care of WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Blountville, Tennessee, 37617. Here is Dr. Hill with today's lesson. Welcome to the Bible class. We're continuing with our study of the general epistle or the universal epistle of James. Are you ready for that? I trust you are. We're continuing verses 9 and following in just a moment, but first I wanted to draw your attention to verses 9, 10, and 11. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth, so also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. At first sight, perhaps, you may not see that these verses are even related to the conversation about the theme of trials and the trial of our faith. But we've got to understand that riches or money and uh, how do we measure riches, but usually in this society, but by money. These things of wealth is a common cause of trials, double-mindedness, instability, failure. Think about it. When you have too much money, you get in trouble. When you have too little money, you get in trouble. Sometimes when you have money at all, you get in trouble. There are problems related to money. The love of money is the root of all evil. There was a, an evangelist, one that did not preach the truth, by the way, who said the lack of money was the root of all evil. He's now passed into his reward. The lack of money is the root of all evil. No, the Bible is very clear. It's the love of money is the root of all evil. And wealth becomes meaningless if we look at life as God looks at life and we see the brevity of this temporal time that we have upon this earth. Think about it. We have 70 years if we make the promise. Three score years, that's 60 and 10. If by reason of strength we make it to 80, we have done something that is yet done by many, and yet it's less than 100 years. And if we make it to 100 years, what is that compared to eternity? Absolutely nothing, not even a drop in the ocean, a drop of water in the ocean. And so wealth becomes meaningless in the face of the temporary nature of life and death that is yet to come very quickly upon each one of us. 
You see, James here is exhorting us to adopt a worldview that is a worldview that God has. It's a non-materialistic view of the world. It's the same worldview that the one of the richest men in the world had. Solomon, you remember? Where he said, even the lily of the fields were not clothed as one of these. What? He's talking about a flower. And yet we also read about a flower, by the way, that it's here today and cut down and put in the oven tomorrow. So the beauty of this world is almost non-existent, certainly temporal. The wealth of this world is almost non-existent, certainly temporal. And so we need to have a worldview that's non-materialistic. And this is what James is going to teach us, because wealth is indeed meaningless in the face of eternity and in the face of death. When we read these three verses, we read about exaltation and we read about humility or lowliness. Abasement. Not the basement in your house. Abasement. A-B-A-S-E-M-E-N-T. Meaning you are made low. You see, believers who are exalted need to be made low and believers who are humble need to be exalted or at least understand the exaltation that God plans for them in eternity because that's encouragement for us to know that God will exalt us but it's God doing the exaltation not us we're not going to exalt ourselves but God will do it because of his love for us and that's the way it should be we should not be self-exultant We should be waiting on the Lord to bring us up. What was the parable the Lord told? The parable of the great dinner, you know, the great feast. And the person comes in and he's got on his clothing and uh, he uh, is dressed for it. And he comes in and he sits up front, but then he wasn't supposed to sit there. So they moved him back. Christ said, it'd be better for you if you were seated in the back among the lowly people and then you were brought up front, that would be exaltation for you. You would be exalted by being brought to the front of the room, to the head table. Wow. Pretty neat. Well, you see, we read here in verse 9, Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted. Does he exalt himself? No, but he's exalted by God himself but the rich in that he is made low. The humility of the rich, the exaltation of the poor, is just understand, uh, understood as God taking care of his own. Does that mean that the rich are worthless? No. Does it mean the poor are uh, more uh, important than the rich? No. It doesn't mean that at all. What it shows is that When it's time for God to work, he sees things from a different perspective than we do. God sees the lowly, the humble, the rich, the high and mighty from the same viewpoint. We don't. Oh, I I realize we see it from the same eyes. We see it from the same mind, same thoughts. But we look upon rich people as somebody special and poor people as somebody 
to be detested or to be avoided. That's not what God sees. That's not how God works. And quite honestly, if you were taught from Scripture, that's not how you see it either. That's what James is saying. So whether you be a brother of low degree, rejoice that God will exalt you. Whether you be rich, know that you'll be made low. Because as the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. And we talked about the flowers being arrayed far more finer than the richest of men. And yet today they are and tomorrow they are not. And it goes on in verse 11 to sort of give us a little bit more of a viewpoint. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. Now let's go into that for just a second. The flower falls. Now what's the grace of the fashion of it? That's that beauty of the flower. It fades. It it just withers. It perishes. When I buy a bouquet of flowers for my wife, and she puts it into water, and she keeps it, and it may last for a whole week, you know, with her trimming them occasionally and putting in new water and all that, and they stay looking pretty nice, and then one day it's just like, whoops, they're gone. They fell apart. They're not there anymore. Oh, isn't that awful? Well, we try to preserve flowers sometimes, don't we? We uh, put them between wax paper and press them in a book, or we do all sorts of things to try to make them look pretty longer, and yet they fade. And the beauty of those flowers fade. And that's the same as with riches. It fades. It will slip through your fingers, and if it doesn't fade, you will. The riches may be passed on to your children, your children's children, your children's children's children. But you will fade, and so will your children and your children's children. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Why do you think the rich and the poor alike are always trying to build memorials for themselves? Why is it that way? Why do we have folks who are rich that build buildings on college campuses and churches and, and in many other things and put their name on them or the name of their loved ones? And I have no problem with people doing that, but why do they do it? And let me confess here, my wife and I have done that, not for us, but for my wife's mother. We contributed enough to build uh, a room at a um, nursing home for the indigent elderly who couldn't afford anything uh, in Honduras, in Siguatapeque, Honduras. There is a nursing home that is dedicated to serving the poor. And my wife and I were blessed by God enough to give the money to build a little room that houses two people, and we did it in the name of her mother. May Reynolds. Why did we do that? 
so that her memory, May Reynolds' memory, could be brought up before other people. She was a godly woman, and so we want her to be remembered. But you see, that's the memory. She's already faded away. She's gone to glory. She's faded from this life into the glory of the life that is yet to come for most of us, because we're listening to this today. We're still here in terra firma. But why do people, poor and rich, want to memorialize themselves or memorialize others? You see it in cemeteries. You uh, go in cemeteries in whatever town you may be, and you'll see somebody that built a mausoleum or built some sort of a huge memorial to themselves or to their parents or to their grandparents or even to their children. Why do we do that? Well, we want to be remembered because God's word is very clear that we are here for only a very short time. And after the short time is over, we're not here anymore. Now, I remember the story of one man who wanted to live longer than God would allow him. And this is a true story. How apocryphal it's become, I don't know, but a true story nonetheless in Terre Haute, Indiana. And I used to live in Terre Haute when I went to graduate school at Indiana State University. And in Terre Haute, there was this beautiful cemetery. You don't think of cemeteries as being beautiful, do you? I don't normally. But they had some beautiful mausoleums and beautiful structures. Oh, it was just filled with all sorts of memorials. Rich folks had died, and folks had remembered them by building huge memorials to them. And this one gentleman, who was quite a tycoon apparently, had decided that uh, when he was placed in his mausoleum, in his crypt, that he wanted to make sure that in case he was still alive when they buried him, that he would be able to call someone to come and get him out so that he would not be buried alive. And so when he died, he had a telephone placed in, in the crypt. I, I'm sorry, I don't mean to laugh, but he had a telephone placed in the crypt and the telephone line was there. It was hooked up to the foot. This was in the 1920s. This, this telephone was paid for with some sort of an endowment that kept the monthly payment on that phone. So if he ever woke up from this great sleep, he could call and have someone come get him out of the mausoleum. <laughs> Strange, isn't it? I don't know that he ever called. I don't even know if the telephone is still operable with the days of digital telephone versus the old analog style. Don't have any clue. But in this huge mausoleum, he wanted to make sure that if he was put in there for all the wrong reasons, that he would be able to dial out. Interesting, huh? Well, I don't think you're going to have that opportunity to dial out once you're called to meet your maker. And so here, James is saying, I want you to understand that wealth is not important. Oh, we think it is. 
but he wants us to have a worldview that is not materialistic. He wants us to have a worldview that is spiritual and is wrapped up in Almighty God and Jesus Christ, his Son. That's what James is aiming for. And he wants us to understand that if we have riches, it will fade away, and we will too. If we don't have riches, it doesn't matter. We'll be exalted someday by Almighty God because he loves us so much that he will exalt us in glory. Now, those rich that have also come to faith in Christ will be exalted as well. But it will be an exaltation by God Almighty and not by our works, not by our deeds, or not by our own efforts. And so we have to understand that life is brief and money is not that important. And then verse 12 of chapter 1, the general epistle of James, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, trials, testings. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Charles Ryrie wrote about verse 12, Mankind understandably may look on tragedy as the curse of God, as Job's friends did. Trials are, however, the means through which God's blessings can come. One's endurance in and victory over trials bring God's blessings. Christians, therefore, are not instructed to seek avenues of escape. God desires that they mature in the situation rather than move from it. And you can find a reference to that in Romans chapter 5, verses 3, 4, and 5, and in 1 Peter 1, 6, and 7. He does, however, promise to mediate more on James 1, 12, or I should say, meditate more, not mediate. My, my, I must get my glasses fixed. God's people need to meditate more on James 1, 12 than 1 Corinthians 10, 13. The reason for this and why God allows trials in the lives of his people is revealed in the Mosaic Law. Deuteronomy 8.16 says that he might humble thee and that he might prove thee to do thee good at thy latter end. Let me read that again from Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 16. That he might humble thee and that he might prove thee to do thee good at thy latter end. Blessed is the man, happy, contented, excited, grateful, use any of those terms you wish. Blessed is the man that endureth trials, testings, temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. When we take a look with the non-materialistic worldview, the spiritual view of the world, the spiritual view of what's going on with us, when we take a look at what James is attempting to teach us in this passage, what we see is God's word training us that happiness goes back to uh, the earlier verses here in chapter 1, where it's joy, my brethren, verse 2, 
Count it all joy when ye fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, and let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, that's complete, that's mature and complete, wanting nothing. So we have the joy of falling into these trials or these temptations, and then we find that we are happy again, Happy is the man, blessed is the man, with a spiritual blessing that goes beyond anything temporal, that endureth the testing, the trials, the temptations, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. A little trial on this earth is nothing to be compared to the glory that is ours at our heavenly home. Thank you for joining us today for this edition of the Bible Class with Dr. Kenneth C. Hill. You may reach us by email by going to our website, whcbradio.org, and sending us an email on the Contact Us link. That's whcbradio.org. If you prefer to use the Postal Service, our address is the Bible Class, WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Bluntville, Tennessee, 37617. That's the Bible class, care of WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Bumble, Tennessee, 37617. You may also call us at 423-878-6279. Until our next Bible class program, we are trusting that the Lord will richly bless you as you serve Him.